Good afternoon. Welcome to Bible Quest Wednesday edition. I am Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. And joining me today is Joe Works in Elmira, New York. And Joe, uh, you and I are chaseless today. All right. Well, we, we don't have chase. We will uh, try to get through this without him, but uh, he's always asking good questions, particularly in this study, and I've appreciated having him, but uh, we will try to get through the study. We're going to uh, finish the book of Revelation today, right? Chapters 19 and 20? Uh, I mean, Lord 21 willing, and 22. <laughs> Lord willing, we will, yes. Uh, and it will, we'll actually start with the very end of chapter 20, so I think that's probably where your head was there. We talked about maybe just going back and looking at the last few verses of chapter 20 again. Yep. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to try to get through that, and then um, do you want to mention something now or later about uh, the summer? Uh, so our goal is to get through the book of Revelation today, and if and assuming we succeed in doing that, we're going to go on hiatus for the uh, rest of the summer. Uh, Joe, you and I are both um, occupied with uh, some trips this week, uh, this summer, some camps that we teach in, and of course you, you run one of the camps, and um, um, so uh, we're going to be kind of busy, and so we're going we're gonna to take off for the summer, and we encourage people to either, if you haven't gone back and looked at all the, the past videos that are online at BibleQuest.tv, you can, you can see our ugly faces there through the summer, <laughs> but uh, uh, then, then we'll be back live, and you can see our ugly faces live coming in the fall. Right. Yeah, very good. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward to uh, picking back up uh, after about school time, I guess. But uh, uh, we do have a lot, in, and, and Chase is even busier with us than us because uh, he's such a popular fella. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, and he has a good-looking face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that advantage over us boomers. Uh, you know that uh, that millennial look that he's got there. So. Yeah. So uh, how about we want to just jump into the text then, and I'm going to bring up a slide here if I can, um, see if I can get to this, uh, I have it on, let me get back here, okay. So last week we closed off looking at chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, and here is what I consider to be a parallel text of that um, in Daniel 7. Again, we've noted several times, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say a hundred times, um, where the something in the book of Revelation is either a quote or a strong allusion from the Old Testament, and often those things were actually pointing to the time in which John is living. Not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the things we're talking about, things that happened back then, and the book of Revelation is using similar language. Yeah, just to give a quick quick example, just to give a quick example of what you're saying, you've got allusions to Old Testament language that, it, like, like when the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are described in terms of the things Moses and Elijah did, turning water to blood and, and causing it not to rain, um, and the point there is not to say those passages were predicting what Revelation's about, but it is to say that these two witnesses are uh, being um, maybe not equated with, but they are there's a, they are being described in terms of Moses and Elijah to to bring some meaning to them. On the other hand, you've got passages like Daniel chapter 
uh, 2 or Daniel chapter 7, where there are the four kingdoms described culminating in Rome, and, and that's very much pointing to the same thing that the book of Revelation is talking about. Right, yeah. Yeah, especially Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and 17 with that beast, and you have uh, the lion, bear, leopard being talked about in Daniel 7, talked about in Revelation 13 and 17, um, and I think the, the evidence to me is overwhelming that, that what Daniel was seeing in the in the future is what john was experiencing yeah exactly and, and so keying off of that very idea about daniel 7 then you have uh, this statement let's go back and read revelation 20 11 through 15 and uh, he says then i saw a great white throne and him who sat on it whose face the earth and heaven fled away there was no place found for them i saw the dead small and great standing before god and books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works and the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead and who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then when you look at on the screen, Daniel chapter 7, the language is just so amazingly similar. I watched till thrones were put in place, the ancient of days seated, his garments white as snow, hair of his head was like pure wool, thrown a flaming fire, wheels of burning fiery steam issued forth, came forth from before the throne. Thousands of thousands ministered him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, court was seated, books were open. I watched them because the sound of pompous words, the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had dominion taken away, yet the lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then we looked at this last week, um, just comparing these two judgment scenes. In both of them, you have, it's the context of the fourth kingdom, as we talked about those beasts. God is seated on throne. Books are opened in both passages. The beast is slain in both passages. And there's this burning flame in both passages. And again, so if you see the beast as being Rome in, in Daniel 7, then Daniel 7, 9 through 12 is this judgment of the beast. Well, that's what we've been talking about ever since chapter 13 of Revelation as well, is, is this beast, and now we're looking at his judgment. And so the same language is being used. I get it. When I read Revelation 20, it's hard for me not to think about the final judgment scene. And yet, just like we have seen over and over and over again, the book of Revelation is using the language of the prophets to speak about things that are happening shortly, quickly, soon, near to the time in which John is receiving this revelation. And of all of the things, in fact, that are, um, uh, let's see if I have this up here. I think I do. Um, uh, so, uh, just continue thinking about this. He talks about heaven and earth passing away um, in, uh, in verse 11. Right. Look at Isaiah 13, 13. I uh, got it there on the screen, I think. Right, um, right you do. So, uh, therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place. The wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. Now, Isaiah 13 is talking about a judgment upon Babylon. 
I don't believe that that's talking about John's day. I think that's talking about the real Babylon, Isaiah right. 13 and 14. He even identifies it as the Medes coming against them, which we know yeah. when that happened. Yeah, exactly. And so this would be one of those cases we talked about at the beginning. He's using language of the prophets, but applying it to what's happening in John's day. But when we read this idea of heaven and earth being moved or passing away or whatever, it, it conjures up in our minds the final judgment. But biblically, that language is just judgment. And only the context tells us what kind of a judgment it is. And so in Isaiah 13, I don't know anybody that believes, well, actually, maybe I do. Uh, I don't hardly know anybody who believes that that's the final judgment. Um, uh, everybody uh, that practically understands that's judgment against Babylon. Uh, and so why sort of jump ship in the book of Revelation to say, well, this must be the final judgment when it's such similar language. Um, we talked about the book uh, all the way back in chapter three and verse five. Um, uh, you know, it's, I think it's interesting in this text is the dead who are judged. It's not everybody who's being judged here in uh, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It only identifies the dead as being judged. Um, uh, death in Hades. That's something we've been talking about, again, throughout the book, uh, from the very beginning of the book. Uh, Jesus has power over death and, and Hades. Maybe, and we won't have time to explore all of this in detail, but if somebody wants to talk to me more about it during the summer, maybe I can use some of that time to, to do that. Assyria is associated with death and Sheol uh, because Ahaz had made a deal to, with them to avoid destruction. Therefore, destruction would be their fate, Isaiah 28. Um, and there's the, the text there. So the idea of death and Hades or death and Sheol in the Old Testament um, uh, is, is the idea of destruction that was going to come upon them. It, it does not need to be the end of the world destruction. Context will always determine that, I believe. So, so oh, go ahead. So um, real quickly, I don't, I, we, need to, we need to move on and get these last two, but this is an interesting take on Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 that, that you presented last week and have reviewed with us there, and I appreciate it, and I think you're, you, you, you are right in being quick to look at the language as used in the Old Testament. Um, I have always, and I guess still am inclined to look at verses 11 through 15 as indeed being yet future from our perspective as being the end of the world, although you've made me think. So uh, just a quick couple of questions here and spend as little time on it. You know, just you can just blow it off if you want, <laughs> but <laughs> two, two quick questions. Uh -huh. uh, the, the reference to the thousand years earlier in verse five, uh, would you, I, I would see verses 11 through 15 as being after the thousand years, would you see verses 11 through 15 as, okay, he's talked about the thousand years, but that's not been the primary focal point of, of, the, of the book of Revelation. So now starting in verse 11, he goes back and picks up again with the fate of the dragon and, and, or with the fate of the beast, I should say. Uh, and so that it's not at the end of the thousand years. Is that what you would say? So I would take it with verse five, I think. And some of this does get kind of complicated, and I don't have answers for everything, um, uh, but in verse five, but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, in the earlier verse four, it's the faithful who are living, but the dead 
they don't live. And so who are the contrasting the, the, the people of verse four and the people of verse five, the people of verse four, the saints, mm-hmm. the people of verse five then would be the earth dwellers, what, what I call mm-hmm. the earth dwellers yep. in the book. And uh, so I think that now what we're seeing is these earth dwellers are now being presented before the throne. Um, uh, and so these are the ones who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Uh, I think we mentioned that one last week. Um, and so I think that this is just the judgment of them or a judgment of them, um, in this text here in verses 11 through 15. So we kind of like, in my mind, verse five sort of puts them on pause and then now we're going to deal with them in 11 through 15. Okay. One, one last question, the phrase, um, second death. Uh, as it is used in verse 14. Uh-huh. This is the second death. Uh, are you able to give us a, a, a precise explanation of that phrase in in keeping with what you're saying? Sure. So I think there's two possibilities. One is we're talking about more of a concept of it. I think that chapters 21 and 22 is pointing to the victorious church and so I think this is talking about the defeat of those who are opposing the victorious church. And so maybe it's not talking about specific souls as much as it is the cause of Christianity. I think that's one possibility. I'm more inclined to see it as the actual souls of those who fought against the saints are being judged. Um, uh, I, I don't hold the position that those who are dead are kind of put into a waiting room until the final judgment. I struggle with that some, but I think about the souls that are that are that are uh, the the saints who have died. They're with the Lord now. I believe Philippians one and a few other passages I think point to. That's complicated. It's above my pay grade. It's a spiritual realm, and we're dealing with physical. Uh, illustrations and ideas to describe that spiritual realm. So I'm not going to to be too dogmatic about that. But what I'm picturing is that those people in the first century that fought against Christianity are being judged here. I think that's what's being described. All right. Well, take us on into chapter 21 and 22. Sure. So uh, we'll skip through this slide. It doesn't really, it just, just, just points out that when you see something in the text that Revelation is revealing something uh, to us. Um, that's the point of it. Um, uh, and, and maybe hold fast to that idea because people look at some of these chapters and they think, well, this was a mystery and it's, it's, it's not intended to be a mystery. I, 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 may, I may have it completely wrong, but I will insist that it can be understood. Um, uh, and so we ought not to be afraid of, of studying it really is the point with that. So you have this idea in chapter 11, or excuse me, in chapter 21, I'll get to it in just a second here, um, trying to move my uh, cursor around a little bit. Uh, in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, would you read that for us, please? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The first things are passed away. 
And he that sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he says, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, They are come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so let's think about this again. This sounds like such end of world language. I think in large part, and I'm not trying to indict anybody, but I think in large part, it sounds like that because of the songs that we sing. Um, you know, songs are so powerful. They give yeah. us images. Yeah. And so we sing a lot of songs about heaven that uses this kind of language. Um, but let's, let's don't let the songs or maybe a preacher of past or whatever influence us more than the, the Bible itself. And so think about Isaiah's language and how the similarity of it in Isaiah 65, 17 through, well, I, actually all of 65 and 66. It was a time of Gentile conversion. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Does that sound like what we're studying right here? Language um, is similar. Yeah. And the former shall not be remembered if they're not come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing. For a people a joy, I'll rejoice in Jerusalem, join my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So whatever Isaiah 65 is talking about, he's saying there's not going to be any tears there. Right. Um, and then you go on in Isaiah 66, verses 19 and following, um, uh, and he uses more language, again, that is uh, so similar to uh, what we're reading about right here. Um, uh, with, and so um, maybe just drop down um, again. So this is emphasizing, you know, uh, the time of the Gentiles, uh, uh, sign being sent to, to the nations, sent to the nations, to the Gentiles. Um, uh, and uh, again, closing off there in verse 22, the new heavens and a new earth. And so there's no time of crying and the former things are passed away. Those are the same things. Look at chapter 21 and verse four. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And so we read that and we think that must be the end of the world. But when we read Isaiah 65 and 66, we understand that to be the introduction to the kingdom. Yep. And I would suggest that that really goes perfectly again with Daniel 7, because what was it in the time of that seventh, in the, in the time of the fourth beast, the, 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 the beast, the fourth kingdom, God's kingdom was going to be established forever. Uh, and so, again, I think that those parallels, what Daniel is seeing in the future, what Isaiah here is seeing in the future is the time of John when the Gentiles were going to be converted. He's not saying literally there's not going to be any crying, um, but the idea is that we have the bridegroom with us, that it's a time of rejoicing. Well, maybe, maybe even we could compare it to the language in Isaiah of turning your um, swords into plowshares and your, uh, I can't remember how that goes, but yeah. basically uh, he, he's painting a picture of peace and, and there is peace in Ephesians. You've got peace between Jew and Gentile and peace between both of them and God in one body reconciled to God. So 
he's not saying, well, when, when the time comes that I'm talking about, there are not going to be any more swords or spears, uh, but, but he's trying to paint a picture of peace that characterizes the kingdom of God. Right. So also here, maybe we should think about the tears, no more tears. He's not saying there's not going to be any more tears anywhere on earth, or even that Christians will not experience sadness in their lives. But uh, certainly um, not the kind of regret that goes with somebody like the rich young ruler who goes away sorrowful because he does not submit to, to the Lord. Uh, Christians are more like the Ethiopian eunuch who goes away rejoicing. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that's the that's the picture that Revelation 21 is trying to paint for us. And so you have this idea of a new Jerusalem, and, and where is this new Jerusalem in verse 2? You know, people want to say that's heaven, but he clearly says it comes down out of heaven. And you can look back at chapter 3 and uh, verse 12. Uh, again, I'm, I'm talking really fast because I know how much material we have to cover. Um, uh, but in Revelation 3.12, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. And so what was promised to the faithful saints in Philadelphia was that they would be a part of the new Jerusalem. Um, uh, and I would just ask the question maybe, and this isn't intended to be a gotcha question, but for anybody who's listening, are you in the heavenly Jerusalem or not? Well, the Hebrew writer says you need to be. If you're in the church, if you're, if you're a part of God's people, if you've been called out of the world, if, if you've been washed from your sins, uh, then you are part of the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12. Um, uh, there's that, that text there, again, for time's sake. He says that it's like a bride adorned for her husband in Revelation 21 and in verse 2. Again, that's we've contrasted. You have these two women that uh, are being described. You had the woman back in chapter 12 and then the, uh, the great harlot in chapter 17 and 18, if I get that right. Eight, yeah, 17, 18. Um, but then you also have the, the offspring from that woman I think now we're seeing her being described as this bride. Um, Ephesians 5, I think we mentioned that maybe even last week, um, that Christ is the head of the church. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's his bride. Um, and so let's throw in a thought, because, you know, we get hung up on trying to make everything work in, in maybe too literal a way. But, you know, we think, well, wait a minute, the, the church is already the bride of Christ in Ephesians, and here we are some decades later, and he's looking at the future and talking about, but I think you may have said this when you and I were talking after the webcast last week, if we look at just this whole time period from the coming of the Christ into the world to the defeat of this Roman Empire that opposes God's people, uh, that that is kind of globally the whole story of Jesus taking his bride um, and so it's not so much that marriage happens in a 24-hour period, according to our clock, but it happens in this time frame. Yeah, exactly. We, we want to think in a very specific on what day, like Acts 2 or something like that. But again, go back and look at <clears throat> Daniel 7, or Daniel 2 uh, with, that, with that statue. It's in the time of the fourth kingdom and, and connected with that uh, rock uh, crushing the the feet in other words rome so he's talking about rome being losing its power 
that that's part of uh, the the prophecy is Rome losing its power. Same thing in Daniel seven with the beast. The beast being judged in Daniel seven. Um, uh, so uh, we we just need to accept that part of the church being established is the downfall of this beast. I I think that's well put. Good. I'm going to try to replay that and write that down then. Uh, I don't always put it very well. Uh, so in this text, he talks about the, the tabernacle of God is with man. Um, uh, again, that's a John theme, especially not only with John. Hebrews 8, 9 deals with that some. Uh, but, you know, Jesus dwelling with man. Um, uh, the, the tabernacle of God is with men. Is, is the Lord with us? You know, the Lord is at hand, you know, uh, be, don't be anxious, Philippians tells us, and so on, and so it, there's several examples of that, um, so there's a couple of passages there, the no tears we already dealt with, um, uh, you know, the idea of uh, this being, uh, this judgment taking place, he says in verse six, it is done, and you've mentioned, I think, very accurately that these last several chapters of Revelation are repetitive, so you had that statement of it is done uh, or something very similar multiple times. I don't have on the slide that seventh trumpet in Revelation 11, but that would be another one. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, I think. Um, uh, so, so that idea of it is done within the context of the book means that God has won over this fourth kingdom. And so he says in uh, this text also um, uh, that, uh, whoever is thirsty, um, uh, that he could come to him and, and drink, right? Um, in uh, uh, the end of verse six, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Wow. Look, who, who wrote the book of Revelation? John. Uh, look at John four, the woman at the well. Yeah. John seven, right. I am the living water, right? right. Th those are themes. And then you have that brought out throughout the book of Revelation again, 7 and 21 and 22. He who overcomes has been a theme. Remember the seven churches, each one of them concluded in chapters 2 and 3 with he who overcomes. Or you have the choice, either overcome or you're going to face this destruction then. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, here is, um, I'm not going to reveal the name but uh, when my children were very young, a friend of ours taught them a song from Revelation 21.8 um, uh, that their mother had taught them. I'm guessing it's a song that very few people have heard. Um, it goes like this. Revelation, Revelation 21.8, 21.8. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell. Burn, burn, burn. There was a mother who taught her son that every time that she caught him lying <laughs> and wanted to put the fear of God in him. And that now here he is 30 something and he remembered it quite well and taught our children. Um, uh, so um, it's, it's not a song that you would sing uh, at services, I don't think, but um, it, it, it does stick with you. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, th this is serious. I mean, it's, it's exactly. funny to think about a little child hearing that song. But, yeah. the, the, you know, I, I mean, just as an aside, some of the nursery rhymes our children learn right. have yeah. horrific history as far as right. the topic is concerned. But this is a message that is et of eternal truth and consequence. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. 
anyway, I, I won't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we need to think about that. I mean, let that song, you know, make it a jingle that sticks in your head. You know, these are people who are not going to survive uh, standing in front of God. Yeah. Uh, so 19 through uh, or 9 through 21. Um, uh, I, I guess let's go ahead and read that. We're not going to have time to read every section uh, this, uh, this afternoon, but if we can go ahead and read that for us. 9 through 21? Yeah. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls who were laden with the seven last plagues. And he spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and having, having the glory of God. Her light was like unto a stone most precious, as it were a jasper stone, clear as crystal, having a wall great and high, having 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east were three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that spoke with me had for a measure a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square, and the length thereof is as great as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height thereof are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the building of the wall thereof was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto pure glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the several gates was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. I think you had me read that just so I'd have to read verse 20. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly why I had you read that, because I cannot. I am very impressed. I'm giving you a silent clap, you know, a mental clap uh, for, for that. Uh, excellent job. Uh, I, made I, a, I made up those pronunciations. I don't oh, know. <laughs> well, you, you said them with authority, and that's what's important. That's what um, I always tell people. We get those names that are hard to pronounce in the Bible. Don't worry about whether you get it right or not. Just say it with confidence. <laughs> there you go. So again, language that we are used to hearing and thinking about heaven, and what a glorious thought that is. I don't want to rob us of that, okay? But I want us to keep in mind that as we're looking at this, he carries him away to a great mountain. Remember that rock in Daniel 2 that became a great mountain? Yep. Again, I'm going to skip over some of this somewhat quickly, but interrupt whenever you want. Nope. Um, it has yep. foundation, has, is, is the 12 apostles. That's what Ephesians 2 talks about, that they are the foundation. This isn't something off into the future. Uh, it was being measured for its holiness, I believe. That's the same thing that happens in Ezekiel 42. Um, and then these stones that are being talked about. These stones are almost, they're, they're so similar to uh, Isaiah 54. Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones in colorful gems. I'll lay your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and your, all your walls of precious stones. And all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children, and righteousness shall be established. 
Okay, just pause right there, just reading part of that text. You have this idea of, of, of colorful gems. I can pronounce sapphire and, and crystal and ruby. Um, uh, so I'm glad that Isaiah gets that. But, but here's a, a test for you, Jeff. Isaiah 54 uh, numerically comes after what? Isaiah 53. Great. Yeah. And so Isaiah 53 is the picture of the suffering Savior. And the result of his work on the cross brings about this result. And what is the result that Isaiah 53 brings about? You can just read Isaiah 54, 55, 56, 57, 58. And, and then when you get to 60 through 66, and we're especially emphasizing the Gentiles coming in to, uh, to the kingdom. But, but this text is talking about the result of what Christ did in establishing his kingdom. And so these stones... Is Isaiah 54, was that fulfilled? Was Isaiah 53 fulfilled? Maybe we'll ask the easy question first. Yes. Yep. Was, was Isaiah 54 fulfilled? I believe yes. And that's what John is seeing being fulfilled in Revelation 21. Um, uh, and so I'll, I'll just skip the rest of that for now. There are some other connections you can make, particularly with the book of Ezekiel there. Um, uh, and for time's sake, Chapter 21, verse 22, through chapter 22 and verse 5. I'm just going to kind of go through those verse by verse. In verse 22, he talks about, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God and the Lamb, therefore, are accessible. Is that true now, or is that only true in heaven? That's, that's true now. Yep. Yep. God is its light. Isaiah 60 talks about that. Here it is on the text, on, on the slide. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and God, your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Has Isaiah 60 been fulfilled? Well, in Isaiah 60 is, again, it's a context talking about when the Gentiles come in. We see that happening starting in Acts chapter 10. Right. Also interesting that once again, here we have the idea of mourning being ended, sadness, which ties in with the no tears. Right, yeah. And, and, and so essentially what he's saying is we're walking by faith and not by sight. We don't, we're not walking by the sun and the moon. We're walking by the glory and the light of God. Um, you know, th th this is not some off into the future when the sun is going to be, you know, literally uh, destroyed or, or burned out or whatever. Not that you don't, not that you're denying that that's going to happen, it, right. but that's not what this is about. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then here, I think this is really one of the clinchers for me in this text. He talks about that the nations, verse 24, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Look at Isaiah 60 in verse 10, for example. The Gentiles shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Yeah. That's, that's just almost identical. Uh, the, the nations or the Gentiles, and then the kings are going to come into it, the brightness or the glory. Right. Um, uh, you know, that's what he says there. And then in chapter 20, uh, in this text in verse 25, 21, 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And so, again, look at Isaiah 60 and verse 11. Therefore, your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. 
So people are going to be coming into, Isaiah says, going to be coming into this kingdom of God, um, uh, and uh, they're, they're going to be coming into this kingdom constantly. The gates are never going to be shut. And that's what we're reading about. That, that's, Isaiah was seeing that off into the future. John is seeing that happening in his time there. And then he talks about this river of the tree of life in, uh, in the text, and that's really more in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, this river of life and this tree of life that comes from the throne. Um, he'll talk about that more in verse 14, to have the right to the tree of life, and in verse 17, uh, whoever's thirsty, let him take from the water of, the, of, of life there. And so it becomes a source of healing through its leaves, it talks about here in verse 2, right? Um, 22.2, in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Look at Ezekiel 47, uh, verses 8 through 12. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down in the valley, enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And then he talks more about uh, because of these waters that, that they'll be healed, uh, the great fish, uh, there'll be a great multitude of fish, and they'll be healed. And then at the end of that, in verse 12, they'll bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for good, for food, and their leaves for medicine. And the word medicine there is the same word, I believe, or maybe it's just the root word uh, in, in Hebrew. Somebody studying Hebrew could uh, let me know that. Um, uh, but it's, it's the same idea as the word healing that, that's given there. It's either the same root or maybe even the same word. Um, and so the emphasis of healing in, in Isaiah 47 is the same thing that's happening here. Um, so uh, I'll, let, me, let me just pause there and see if you have any thoughts that you want to add in the, from verse 22 on. But I would just suggest that all of these things are what Isaiah was saying was going to happen after Isaiah 53. Yeah, no, I very much so. You know, uh, it, it is it, one of the themes in the Old Testament is the picture of God dwelling with his people. I'll be your God and you shall be my people. And, uh, and this that's what this is. And it's a picture of that, but elaborated as the prophets do, as, as Isaiah did, where he paints a picture of what it's like to be the people of God and God dwelling with us and us dwelling with him. Right. Yeah, very good. And so then this last section, verses 6 through 21, um, we've already talked about this, but I think it's, it's really worth emphasizing. Uh, you have these phrases in verse 6, shortly take place, in verses 7, 12, and 20, come quickly. Verse 10, do not seal up the message, um, and that's in contrast to Daniel 8. Remember, Daniel 8 was talking about the Medo-Persian and the Grecian Empire, the goat and the ram that we're going to fight, and Alexander the Great coming to power. And uh, he was told, seal that up because it refers to many days in the future. And so we're talking about the time of Alexander the Great coming to power in the, the 300s BC, just a, 200 years or so, give or take, from the time that Daniel received that vision until it was fulfilled. But God tells him, that's the off end of the future, seal that up. Well, here he's told, don't seal up this message because it's getting ready to happen. Right. And so we've seen that. That's consistent throughout the book. Chapter 1 and verse 1, 1 and verse 3, you have that idea of shortly take place, that the time is near. Um, you have it in chapter 6, that fifth seal, the souls under the altar. We're told to wait a little while longer. 
in both in chapters two and in chapter three, two different churches are told, I come quickly. One is a promise and one is a threat. And then you have here five times in this last section uh, mm-hmm. of God giving us the timing, six, 10, uh, six seven, 10, 12, and 20, uh, the, the timing of the prophecies. And so I'll be honest with you, I struggle with seeing this as the end of the world when so much emphasis at the end of the book is on the, you know, if, if these statements that are, that are right there on the screen, 6, 7, 10, 12, and 20, if those were at the end of, say, chapter 19, then I might be inclined to think, oh, the rest of this then is looking forward to another mm-hmm. time. But that's not the way that it's written. Um, uh, and so what he says in this is, and this is just a, a, such a great lesson for every age, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Sometimes when me and my brothers would be acting up and uh, being rebellious as we were prone to do uh, growing up, uh, my dad would, would talk about a consequence. Maybe we were in the middle of fighting, and he would say, you all keep that up, and you're going to get a spanking. <laughs> and then he might say something like, if you all want to go ahead, you go ahead. Now, he didn't really mean we could go ahead. He meant, I've told you the consequences. I've told you the punishment. Now, if you want to decide to do that, you already know. Kind of like when God said Balaam could go on and go see Balak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good comparison. Yeah, a very idea. Yeah. And so he's saying, you know, okay, now you know the whole story. Imagine the people that those seven churches, they're receiving this message and, and they're saying, you know, you want to follow Jezebel, you want to follow Balaam, you go right ahead. Or if you want to keep those white garments, uh, you know, if, if you want to have that little strength and, and, and receive the blessing, then you can do that as well. So I'm going to anticipate where you're going here. These statements in Revelation the 22, uh, in Revelation 22 that we, we see, for example, in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and he that hears, let him say, come. And then verse 20, he who testifies these things saith, yea, I come quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to anticipate, and, and if, if this is where you're going, I agree with you. This is not saying, let the end of the world come that's yet in our future. I think back to those souls crying out from beneath the altar in Revelation 6, 9, uh, how long dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon those who dwell in the, in, in, in the earth? And then as the scenes unfold about what God's going to do about it in Revelation, the 10th chapter, there shall be delay no longer. And you see the judgment that they're calling for. That's yet in John's future, but it's not in our future. It's what God did about it, the Lord coming in judgment. So I think we get here to the end of Revelation, verse 22, and John is saying, so be it. Come, come accomplish this judgment uh, upon, upon Rome that you've been talking about. We, we cannot jump ship there. You know, we, we have to remain consistent with the message of the book. Yeah. The message was to those seven churches, to those saints that were struggling. God is in control, and he is going to judge those who are opposing them, and, they are, and, and the faithful saints are going to come out victorious. And so, yeah, okay, Lord, do what you said you're going to do. That's what the souls were crying out for, as you pointed out. I think that's exactly right. Very good. And so uh, we've got just about uh, two minutes here. Let me go through this um, uh, regarding that text that we began with uh, this afternoon. We say that the book, the events of the book of, uh, of Revelation are concerning Rome, like the prophecies of Daniel 2 and 7. Then the Revelation passage that most mirrors Daniel 7 
we, and I mean that as a very general we, conclude it must be about a time hundreds of years beyond Rome. We already looked at that chart that shows the parallels there. That just doesn't make sense to me. Now, that doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense to me. Um, uh, and here's, these are just some questions to ask if it's the final judgment or if it's the victorious church. Uh, if the new heavens and the new earth is speaking of the end of time, then why are the gates left open? If it's the victorious church, why are the gates left open? Oh, I think I can answer that one. How are nations going to continue to bring glory and honor into it or into him if, if it's if the end of the world, if this has been the final judgment, if chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 was the final judgment, how are nations and kings going to continue to bring glory into it? Who is left to be refused entry? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think is a, is a solid question. Mm -hmm. What nations are going to be healed afterward mm -hmm. if the final judgment was in chapter 20? What mm -hmm. nations are going to continue to be healed? Um, uh, and so is the holy great city in heaven or is it coming out of heaven? Which interpretation most closely follows the time elements given following the text in question? Again, those five different verses. I readily admit that I don't have all the answers, and people can pose some questions to me that I'm just not quite sure about. The thousand years is a tough thing to understand, and, and or at least to explain for me, no matter what position I take. Um, I've taken the, the final judgment position in the past, and that was difficult for me there as well. Um, uh, so, but you may have, or somebody may have some questions for me and challenging me. And I'm happy to try to deal with those. I may come back and say, I don't know, but I'm happy to hear them. I, I want to understand the text better. But if you take it as the final judgment, I, I would just ask you to, to sincerely try to answer these questions. If it's the victorious church in the first century, then these questions I think are very appropriate for the continuing of God's kingdom beyond Rome. So I'll- uh, Are we there? I'll stop sharing there and we're about out of time anyway, but feel free to, to jump in there on anything. Well, just, I really appreciate your going through Revelation with us, Joe. You've done, really, you've done a fantastic job and and you, you, you've kept our focus on all of the connections, helping us to see this is not just a random bunch of strange visions. Everything is interrelated. There's a lot of repetition. He's using figures that have, were well known from the Old Testament. And I think that informs our understanding. I, I agree with most of what you've said. And I, I think your, your development of chapter 21 and 22 is spot on. Uh, I think at this point, I'm probably still in the other camp as far as chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 are concerned. But uh, on the whole, I think that you just, just, you've done a fantastic job and I appreciate it. Well, I, you know, the beautiful thing about it is whatever is true of the victorious church, is ultimately true of what happens after the final judgment. The church in eternity, um, yeah. So that's one of the great things about this. We can disagree. We, we should all continue to try to study and understand better. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're, we're in agreement that God is in control and that being with him is what's important now and ever after. Mm -hmm. I really like what you did today in chapter 21. Um, that uh, That's very helpful. Uh, all right, Joe, so remind our viewers, we are going on hiatus here for the rest of the summer. I think after Labor Day, is that when we're going to be back? Yeah, I think that'd be a good time. We'll, we'll try to advertise that on Facebook and uh, amongst emails or whatever. Okay, dope.